If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a multifaceted expert. David H. Lawrence Seventeenth is an American television and film actor, voice talent, network radio host, internet entrepreneur, podcaster, demo producer, teacher, and author. He's best known for his role as the puppet master on NBC's sci-fi series Heroes. He was also the host of the daily The David Lawrence Show and Weekend Online Tonight, both nationally syndicated radio talk shows. David has been involved in podcasting since its inception, And let me tell you, he has a resume that is packed full of eye-popping achievements in movies, theater, videos, voiceovers, training, and a whole lot more. Wow. David, what an absolute special honor it is to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. I'm so appreciative and I'm exhausted. Me too. (laughs) Feels like I've got a lot of work left to do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for being such a generous host. David, I'm not the first and I probably won't be the last, but I have to ask you, why David H. Lawrence the 17th? I was the 17th David H. Lawrence on IMDb. When there's multiple people with the same name, they put Roman numerals after their name to denote which ones are which. And when I had to choose my SAG name, I was hoping for David Lawrence because that's nice and simple and easy. And, and the woman at SAG at the time, it wasn't SAG after, it was just SAG. We went through every variation of my name possible. And none of them were available because others had taken them. And I'm staring at my IMDb page and I'm seeing the 17 afterwards. And I'm like, what about David H. Lawrence, the 17th? And she says, exhausted herself. She says, fine. And she hangs up on me. I was hoping that was a good decision. It seemed to have been. People could easily be making fun of me, but you know, I'll just remind you that we're in show business and I don't really have a lineage that goes back as far as I say it does in the story that I created for fans that write in and say, 17th? Wow, how how'd that happen? And yeah. it's a great story. I mean, you know, who else could tell that story but you? So right. why not? Mm-hmm. As you said, it's show business. So yes, let the show go on with David H. Lawrence, the 17th. I mean, it worked out for me. When I do television or I do films, likely they will put my name up on a, what's called a single card because it's so big. It's just a little tiny thing. And then it's always a, a conversation starter. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that when one of your listeners says to someone who says, what do you do? And they go, oh, I write books. You do? What? Tell me about that. You're an author? That's great. You know, it's, it's one of those moments that generates conversation. With a voice as great as yours and the background that you have, obviously, we want to hone in on using that voice. And what comes to mind for me is obviously as it relates to our authors, and that's audiobooks. 
And since that's such a hot trend at the moment, let's talk about why you feel our authors should turn their book into an audiobook. Well, I think at some point in time, authors think about it and then they think, oh, it's a lot of work and I got to find somebody and oh, it becomes sort of this mountain to climb. And I get that authors have a timeline reference that is very different from many people who produce artwork. Some people do a radio show or a podcast and it takes them a day or so to put it all together. Your authors have often been working on their books for months, years, sometimes decades. And so they've already been up a mountain and down a mountain and it feels like a lot of work. And it's one of the things that I specialize in, in terms of helping train the voiceover talent that I train to be the project manager for it, to make it easier for your authors to do an audiobook. But I think it's really essential that whether your authors voice their own audiobook or they have someone else voice their audiobook, that they do an audiobook. They don't realize sometimes just how big a portion of the landscape, the sales landscape, audiobooks can be. Sometimes outselling printed books, ebooks, Kindle, the whole thing. And it all started back in 2006, the hockey stick when smartphones began to proliferate, and certainly the iPhone was the big fulcrum point. But the moment you were able to go from, gosh, I'd like that audiobook, to listening to that audiobook within 10, 15 seconds, all of a sudden, all of the resistance to purchasing an audiobook was shaved, and you were able to do that very quickly. That's when the audiobook really took off, when Audible put its app on iPhones and Android devices and made it so easy for people to go from wanting an audiobook to getting an audiobook. No more you have to go to the airport, go to the bookstore or the part of the, the little convenience store that sells CDs and have to have a CD player and all that stuff. It's just so simple to get an audiobook. And it's one of those satisfying joys in life that are very difficult to find parity with elsewhere. You don't have to be in a well-lit place. You can listen to an audiobook while doing other things. I tell my clients, most of the time, the people that are going to listen to your audiobook are trapped in a moving vehicle. They're on a plane, or they're on a train, or they're in a car, or they're on a bicycle, or they're walking. Very rarely do people sit down in the middle of a beautiful stereo system right in the center point and listen to an audiobook. That's more for listening to orchestras and whatnot. So with all those things combined, audiobooks have become sometimes the tail that wags the dog as opposed to the other way around. So it's interesting you say that because many authors feel, oh, if I make an audiobook, people are not going to buy the printed version. But what I've found is that actually it's the reverse that, and I know for myself as an example, I often buy the printed version as well as listen to the audio because sometimes I miss something and I want to find it in the book because I'm a visual learner. And so I need the two. And there's something about also completing the system. 
There's a concept in marketing of marketing the system. So if you have the audiobook and you have the ebook and you have the printed book, it's like you're part of that little world, that little author's world. And you're supporting that author in a way that someone who's just casually wandering by wouldn't be doing. And then also the option when doing an audiobook of creating what's called a related PDF. I've done many books where the pictures and the diagrams and the drawings and the maps and so on don't translate well to an audiobook. A lot of, especially nonfiction authors will think, well, my book, it's a math book. Why would anybody want to make? I have three clients who specialize in doing math books and coding books for programmers. There's nothing quite as satisfying as listening to a 70-line code segment in a book like that for them. Oh, my god! Not for you, but for somebody who's really into it, yeah. That's so funny. I'm just imagining that because actually one of the questions that I had for you is that most of our listeners are nonfiction authors And I wondered if there were some books that were better for audio than others. Obviously, you know, fiction is good, but when it comes to nonfiction, so you almost, you've answered that, I think, but maybe you have something more you want to add to that. I don't think there's any book that I can think of that would not be something that would make a great audio book. I think Sometimes we make assumptions about the differences between nonfiction and fiction. And when I train my narrators and my authors who are also their own narrators, uh, we talk about how to deal with the plots of fiction and how to deal with the facts of nonfiction. But I remind them very carefully at the beginning that fiction books are filled with facts and nonfiction books are filled with drama. The difference between the two isn't really all that much. I've done many, many nonfiction books. One of the books that I did was called League of Denial, and it was about the NFL's concussion crisis. Right around the time when the players' union was suing the NFL over these retired football players who were having terrible times with the end of their lives. And right when we were about to release it, talk about drama, the NFL settled that case and we had to go back in the studio and redo the final two chapters. And this was an ESPN PBS project. There was just as much drama with the discovery of what was going on with how pervasive those uh, medical situations were and how sad and terrifying it was for the football players involved and how mighty and dismissive the NFL was and so many things, all the kinds of things that you would get in a fiction book. So I believe that that nonfiction has the same draw for a listener, and that is telling a great story that a fiction book has. Yeah, talk about living a drama. David, a question that I often get asked by my authors is, if I do an audio book, I want to read it. I want to be the narrator. And I've heard various comments on whether they should, they shouldn't. What's your feeling with that? I can give you a very definitive answer to that, and that is, it depends. The truth is, there are some very, very erudite and lovely sounding and communicative authors And then there are some who are challenged in that area in their life. They're introverts. 
They don't like the spotlight. They're not looking to be the voice of their story. And then there are others who can't imagine anybody being able to tell this story as well as they do. And it's not just nonfiction authors, it's fiction authors as well. They've been living with these characters for years in some cases, and they have a very clear idea in their head as to what these characters sound like. And it's very similar to what happens when somebody has the rights to their book acquired by a filmmaking company or production company. Gee, I really didn't picture that actor as that character or sounding that way. And it's one of the things that writers tend to acquire when they've experienced some success. This notion of, well, I didn't think about it that way, but that's how it turned out. And oh my gosh, it won an Oscar. Okay, maybe I shouldn't worry so much about being so connected to my version of the story. That's really the crux here is even the author has his or her version of the story. And what they're hoping for when they develop and create a book that is so engrossing that it becomes a bestseller is that all of the readers, and in the case of the audiobook, the listeners of that book have their own version in their head of the book. And that is an experience that is very satisfying. You hear readers and listeners say, oh, I so connected to that character. Well, they did so from their perspective, not the author's perspective. Yes, you can do your own book. And I've heard some really great books being read by the author, nonfiction books in particular. There's a book called Brief, and there's a book called Essentialism. Both of them are read by very lovely sounding authors, uh, British in both cases, and just an incredible job. They could be audiobook narrators for other authors if they wanted to. They're not, but they could. And then there are people, very famous, famous authors. One that comes to mind, it rhymes with Schmieven Schming, who should never go anywhere near a microphone and read their books because what they tend to do is invest a little wink and a nod to what they think the book should be about rather than leaving that to the listener for that final yard or two to connect to the story. So again, it depends. It depends. Wow. Yes. And you're right. I mean, some people have a voice that's made to be listened to and others don't uh, as much as, you know, the British accent obviously is in my favor many times. And people say to me, oh, I can listen to you all day. You could read the telephone book and I'd just love to listen to it. I would hate to have somebody listen to me read the telephone book, but that's it. (laughs) You might get a little bored after you get through the bees. Yes. But yeah, no, I, I think that in general, in America in particular, we revere as erudite and learned and cultured and calming and soothing and specific the received pronunciation uh, accent that you have, as well as even colloquial accents like Northern England, Liverpoolian, you know, there's over 150 different accents in the British Isles, and that includes Irish, Northern and Southern, Scottish, Midlands, Highlands, Border, And those come into play when characters in your book are from there. That's another reason that authors sometimes, I've written these characters that have Greek accents and Japanese accents and Australia. I can't do those. Well, okay. 
if you think you have to be that precise about your accents and dialects, you may be missing the point, which is the story. It's always the story. Yes, you could do your own books. So could someone who isn't really all that great in terms of a voice. I think people sometimes tend to think you have to have this masterful, amazing voice to be able to do audiobooks. And yet, there are many, many authors for whom the listener doesn't care if they have a great voice because they love the author. They don't care. They're not even listening for the greatness of their voice. You have a terrific advantage. You have a very lovely pace to how you speak. You don't rely on vocal bridges like um and you know and so and like and things like that. Just when you're speaking normally, I can only imagine when you're reading that if you don't make the mistake of assuming a melody like the BBC news melody, which is where every single sentence ends like this. And, you know, they go up at the end. As in, <laughs> by, by the time you're, you're finished listening, I listen to the World Service all the time. By the time I'm done, I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm just, I'm listening to this melody and I've forgotten what the story is. You have an advantage and I certainly would coach you to take advantage of that. And yet at the same time, if somebody didn't have that well-developed voice, I likely wouldn't make them worry that they couldn't do it either because authenticity and authority are far more important than whatever your impression of what a, quote, great voice, unquote, would be. Yeah. Well, thank you for the compliments. And yes, I agree with that. The authority, the authenticity is so, so important. And that's something obviously I like to portray in this podcast is that I'm authentic. I'll draw back the curtain a little bit and show the rawness of what goes on because, and I've felt more comfortable as I do it more and more. So David, you talked about earlier about the system. And if our authors were to go about thinking this through, this audio book, what are the steps that they need to go through? What is the most basic thing that they have to start with? Give us a few steps to get them started. So I think understanding the basics of how the audiobook community and the audiobook production system works is really important because at every step of the way, you're like, oh, oh, that's what I have to do. Oh, okay. But knowing that ahead of time can make it a lot easier and can manage your expectations about things. For example, when I train my narrators, I train them to rely on the author to proof listen what they produce because our eyes play tricks on us all the time. It's why we make mistakes when we're reading aloud and it's why pickups are a thing where you have to go back and correct something. You saw the word Tuesday, but out of your mouth came the word Thursday. It happens. And the thing is, as a narrator, if I go back and I proof listen to what I've done, I will likely make the same mistake because I'm in exactly the same position. I'm reading the manuscript and I'm talking, listening, I'm experiencing the audio that I created. And so you know, knowing how, that's just one example, but knowing how the equipment that you need works and how the production standards of Audible are 
pretty universal throughout the industry and need to be adhered to. Little things like how to land the plane. At the end of every chapter, I train my clients the age-old tradition of coming to a complete stop and doing so to signal to the listener, okay, we're about to move on to something else. And there are many, many ways to do it, and it depends on the content that you're reading at the time. If somebody's just been murdered, there's a way to deal with that. And if there's somebody that's just been surprised with a Nobel Peace Prize and their life is about to change, there's a way to deal with that as well. But the, the sentence of, he had no idea what to expect, is the way to end that rather than he had no idea what to expect because you're giving the listener a clue that we're about to move on to a different part of the story. And so there are hundreds of little things like that, that I liken it to a paint by numbers, but at a master level, because you have all these different colors and all these different numbers and all these tiny little paint pots that you're dipping your brush into as you create this. And part of it is a change that's happened over the last decade where you produce your own book and you don't have to get permission from a big publisher to do that work, just like you don't have to have the permission of a big publisher to self-publish or to publish with Aviva, for example. Of course, I don't know whether you need permission to publish with Aviva. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea that our industry has changed so dramatically specifically because of ACX and Audible. ACX is the audiobook creation exchange that Audible created to match authors that don't yet have an audio version of their books with narrators who can create audio versions of their books. And it was absolutely revolutionary for me. It became a category of work that is, I wouldn't say it's the most work I do. The most work I do is on camera but it's a very significant part of my work. And I love the uh, ability to do on a moment's notice to be able to say, yeah, let's do that. As opposed to, well, let's hope they say yes. You don't have to worry about that. You can do it on your own, especially if you're self-published. There are so many different little things to learn, but once you do, they become muscle memory. And so that kind of ties into should authors narrate their own books. If they have one book, you get to learn this big production system for one project as opposed to hiring someone like me or one of my students or the tens of thousands of narrators on ACX that uh, are just lovely and having them manage that process. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I hope it did. Let it me know. opened lots of doors. We could go down a lot of different avenues here, but I know one of the things that our listeners love to hear about are mistakes, David. So maybe a couple of very common mistakes that you find people make. At various levels, I find people, this is just a, a thing that I've noticed both with my professional voiceover narrator clients and with people in general. If you've ever seen someone stand in front of a camera or stand in front of a microphone in a studio and get ready, you know, they're standing there and they, they turn their shoulder a little bit <clears throat> and they clear their throat <clears> throat> and, you know, move around with their neck so that they're nice and loose and their shoulders. And then they go, we ready? We rolling. Okay, great. Go. And all of that is in service 
to something that doesn't need to be. You don't need to create at that very moment a better version of yourself. What you need to do is just be true, be authentic, be your mistake-laden, imperfect, human, beautiful self. And know that if the copy says they didn't want to hear it, that you don't have to pronounce it like this. They didn't want to hear it. But rather, however it fits in context, they didn't want to hear it. It depends, again, on where that sentence lives. But the colloquial nature of you and the beautiful voice that you roll out of bed with every morning is your moneymaker. And we tend to put a whole lot of pressure on ourselves. And that leads to more mistakes as opposed to less. Another really quick thing, when people put their manuscript on their screen, they tend to make the window of that manuscript as wide as possible. The bigger the text, the better. But the actual fact is, if you narrow that window to just a very small number of inches, maybe three to five inches, your eyes won't travel as far from left to right across that manuscript as it would if you had it on your big, huge 38-inch monitor and you could see it better because that's when mistakes happen is when you get to the end of a line on the right-hand side of the screen and your eyes travel back to the left-hand side of the screen to pick up the next part of the line. If you narrow that window, your eyes don't move as much and you make fewer mistakes. And for narrators for whom this is their main bread and butter, the numbers game is doing as many books in the same amount of time as possible. It's building that portfolio of books that pay them directly and per finished hour or, either, or, or pay them over time with royalty share and royalty share plus. So that's one tiny little thing. And there are literally dozens, hundreds of other things that I teach my students to make them better and more mistake-free. But I would say don't worry about the mistakes. That's why we have pickups. And editing. And editing, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have to do all those jumping jacks before we come on air? Please. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> No, I, I see people doing that all the time. Oh, God, I got to get, I got to get up. I got to get my energy up. I got to be up. If you're a morning show guy, like I was for 38 years and you're, you know, yelling at the microphone for three hours, trying to be funny and engaging and you have to keep people's attention, that's different. What you're doing here is you're entering right into somebody's brain. You're in earbuds or you're in headphones or you're in a on a not so great sounding speaker on a smartphone nearby. It's a much more intimate experience of the artwork than a throwaway radio show that I did well over 30,000 of when I was working in radio. You know, nobody's going to remember the radio show from September 20th, 1987. Who knows what happened that day? It's just, it's not committed in history, but your book, you want them to remember your book. I know that our listeners are going to be chomping at the bit to find out more about your courses. Take it away. Let us know what they need to know and where so, they can find you. Yeah. I created a process, especially for audiobooks. I created a process called the stair-step method, 
that makes the recording and editing and correction of mistakes a whole lot easier and a whole lot more focused. It lets you stay a storyteller for a longer period of time and then put on the editing hat than does the standard technique of what's called punch and roll. If your listeners are familiar with that at all, it's the way audiobooks have been made for decades. But for me, I use Audacity. I use an inexpensive microphone that sounds fantastic. All of this is part of my course. And I really enjoy the moment when in my private discussion groups on my site, someone says, oh, just got an offer, just came to retail, book is available. And it happens all the time. And it's just lovely. It's like a little injection of love that I love. The name of my company is called VO Heroes. And it has nothing to do with the series that I'm best known for. It's that I want my clients to be heroes to themselves and to their clients. I want them to have the attitude of, yeah, I got this. I know what to do. I know how to do it. I know why I need to do it. I got this. As opposed to, oh, wait, wait, what? How do I do that? Wait, what, what equipment do I, how do I, you know, there's, there's all this running around trying to figure things out. I like to say I'm not a coach, although that's a reasonable label. I like to say I'm a consultant. I'd rather give you the answer than ask you a hundred questions so that you can lead yourself to the answer. You want to know what mic to use? I'll tell you. The Audio-Technica AT2020. That's what I'm talking on right now. I love it. I use it all the time. It's cheap. It's awesome. And that's what I love. Save money so you can make more money. But voheroes.com, and I have a special link for your listeners if they want to explore my author as narrator training. So if there are authors who are like, yeah, I want to voice my own book. If you go to voheroes.com, and heroes has an E in it, voheroes.com slash Aviva, A-V-I-V-A, you will find a special version of that package just for your listeners. That's lovely. And I'll put that in the show notes, David, because if people are jogging while they're listening to this sure. or yeah. you know, mowing the lawn, whatever they're doing at the moment, then you're it's staying there. You're describing exactly why audiobooks are so popular. They consume podcasts in the same way that they consume audiobooks. And sometimes you just can't write stuff down, especially with nonfiction books. You're like, oh, wait, 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 what do I do there? Okay, yeah. So I get it. Especially the code. <laughs> yeah, the code, for sure. <laughs> David, if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? This is something that I think is truly regenerating and lovely and so letting you off the hook if you pay attention to it. And that is that notion that I talked about before about becoming that better version of yourself. You don't need that. What you need is to just remember that you are enough. Your life experience, your history, your mistakes, your successes, all the things that have shaped you as the lovely, imperfect human being that you are, are incredibly valuable. You are enough. Everything you need to do great work is already inside you. And the moment you need something else, it will be presented to you. Maybe what you needed is somebody to hold your hand and either help you get your book produced as an audiobook or to help you produce it yourself. You didn't see that coming. You're listening to this podcast. 
and it's being presented to you right at the moment that you need it and know that that is something you can rely on. That's beautiful. The authentic you, going back to what you had said earlier, David, you've been amazing. Our listeners are just going to absolutely fall in love with you and your information. And I hope as a result, they sign up for your course. So thank you for sharing that wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.